G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Many of us, we either love our work or we hate it. And it's not surprising since for some of us, work may actually be a much more dangerous place than we might realise. Well, a new book suggests that we are too happy to turn a blind eye to the harm that's caused by a contemporary market economy. What does all that mean? We'll unpack some of this. There is a reality in Australia that is not talked about often, and that is that work-related deaths are minimised and only traumatic injury deaths are counted in state work clover statistics. And industrial disease deaths and work-related suicides are not. That should have your attention. We'll be enlarging a discussion today about what difference it makes when you work in an environment that has at its heart the very heart of God. Is it a workplace that celebrates greed and fosters injustice? Do the pressures of stresses of your work lead to things like heart disease, mental illness, diabetes, cancer, traumatic incident deaths, injury, disability, poverty and family breakdown? Well, it may be the case that as a Christian believer battling to keep your family afloat, you find there are some consequences to the way that your workplace operates. And importantly, if you're the boss with the aspiration to have a Christ-centered business model, your workplace might look very different if the values of your faith are applied to the welfare of your workers. Well, this is where our discussion is going to be so exciting today. John Bottomley is the Director of Transforming Work and a member of the Centre for Religion and Social Policy at the University of Divinity in Melbourne. He's a retired Uniting Church minister with a track record in the area of the dignity of work and its connection with the gospel. His new book is called At Work with John's Gospel, A Spirituality for Life's Fruitfulness in All Our Labours. A special welcome back to 2020 to John Bottomley. John, welcome. Thank you very much, Neil. It's good to be with you again. Uh, John, we spoke, it must be three weeks or a month ago now, and yes. I said mm-hmm. we need to have an hour-long opportunity where we can invite listeners to join into our conversation, perhaps pose a question, make a comment about their own workplace and their own experience. And uh, we'll invite listeners to call in very shortly. But, John, why don't we set the scene for a conversation like this today, talking about your own story, your own work Uh, how these timeless biblical values began to impact you. Take us to your own story. Well, thanks for that opportunity, Neil. And um, it really begins with my own spiritual blindness as a minister. So when I left theological college, um, I went to a parish in Melbourne in the outer suburbs, and I was a minister for nine years. And it was only after I left that um, placement and, and found myself in a 
a secular work environment that I began to look back on my preaching over that nine years and I found that uh, not once did I preach uh, about work, um, that all my preaching was about family life and um, personal values and community needs um, and the, the reality of primarily the men in the congregation um, who left the area each day to go to work and returned late at night I was blind to. I didn't see um, the impact of work on their lives or even on their families. And so due to a set of circumstances, I didn't uh, take another parish and um, um, my wife returned to paid employment and I was uh, unemployed. And uh, after a period of time, I, I took a, a job that someone, a friend of a friend offered me because they needed someone to help with research, and my primary degree was in sociology. So I was surprised to find myself working at um, the Williamstown Naval Dockyard, a ship repair, a naval ship repair yard in, in Melbourne, um, <clears throat> doing some research uh, on the impact of health and safety in, in the workforce. This was in 1983, and I, I took the job because... I basically needed to earn some money, Neil. I <laughs> wasn't able to take a parish appointment at that time. And uh, it was really quite um, utilitarian really, <laughs> to, 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 to earn some money. I'm always uh, amazed and I might say encouraged when I hear the story of preachers. Uh, people have done some extensive study, uh, they've yeah. had uh, this opportunity to be leaders of a congregation of a church and then, for whatever reason, find themselves back into a secular employment uh, where the rubber yeah. hits the road. And you might say, you might say in one sense here, uh, I know listeners uh, won't get mm. me out of context, but in the real world, I mean, I talk about the real yeah. world as being this world that Correct. we have God at the centre, but in mm. the real world for most people where they're in the workplace and and the boss is not a Christian and uh, he treats people badly and all sorts of things, the sorts of challenges that come from being in the real world. And you're, you're talking about reflecting on these things from your own experience in that. That's right. So here I am um, working um, in essentially a blue-collar working environment, uh, a thousand workers, um, concrete and steel, um, after being in the leafy suburbs of the fastest-growing suburb in Australia at the time in the 70s, uh, where most of my ministry was with uh, women at home and their children. Um, so the contrast couldn't really be greater. And um, the work that I was doing involved me being located in the, um, the trade union uh, committee rooms and um, talking with the health and safety delegates. And what happened, uh, to my surprise really, was that these and found a need to have a, a trusted ear. And so while I was there as a researcher, not a minister, um, they found that I was someone who would listen to their concerns about what was happening in their workplace, but also what was happening in their own, in their family lives. Well, that's the gift, isn't it, yes. of uh, someone who has this pastoral calling on their life, uh, that people <laughs> do find you often to be Yes. A person who has a listening ear, easy to talk to. And I can imagine that yes. with your, as you say, uh, sociology degree, the way you're yes. thinking about the environment that you're in, in a blue-collar workplace. Yes. I'll just take you back to, in the introduction I said, 
those words about the reality in Australia that work-related yeah. deaths are minimised and only traumatic yeah. injury deaths are counted in state work cover statistics and industrial yeah. disease deaths and work-related yeah. suicides are not. This is something yeah. of a contrast that you could see in your workplace. That's right. Um, so... Um, let me just tell you about my epiphany, Neil, and then I'll come back to this Good, about yes. work-related deaths because um, I'd been there for about two months and one of the um, uh, electrical trade delegates uh, came to sit at my desk uh, at morning tea time and um, I, I didn't bring morning tea because I started later than the blue-collar workers and he offered uh, to share his um, salada biscuit with me. He, he took it out of his... Um, package uh, out of his kit bag and he held it in front of me and um, I was going to say no no I don't need it and then I said yes thank you and he he held it in front of me and he broke it and the action was just the same as the priest at the altar breaking the bread to begin the uh, distribution of a holy communion the bread and the wine and it it struck me that this was a, a set a, a sacramental moment uh, in in this um, workplace, and that God had actually spoken to me through this man that um, that his hospitality and his gracious sharing of his bread <laughs> was what Christ had done uh, with his his followers, and so that was the moment that I uh, felt that I was being called to be uh, a minister uh, to workers and to understand their concerns. And as it happened um, from this conversation, I became much more um, embedded in the lives of the health and safety delegates. And I discovered that uh, one of their griefs was their colleagues who were dying from asbestos-related diseases because um, the naval ships were just um, full of asbestos lagging, um, you know, fire protection around pipes, um, and, and and the workers told me these stories about how they used to play football with the asbestos, you know, in their in their lunch breaks, yeah. kicking it around, and not realising that these fibres, um, once they breathed them in, <coughs> could kill them. Yeah. Um, so it was a humbling discovery because um, I knew nothing about asbestos-related diseases. After you know, like I'd been in ministry already for ten years. And, and was, again, completely blind to this harm that was part of the taken-for-granted workplace. So the initial impact was in the broken bread, um, but it, it set me on a path of re returning to um, read the scriptures with uh, new eyes, and that's what made the difference, having my eyes opened um, by the trust that these men gave me. And that is a very powerful thing to think about when you start to look at your workplace with new eyes. And I suspect yes. that's what comes when you glean the values that uh, in your book where you've written about the Apostle John and uh, how yes. he has been able to speak into yes. the lives of people timelessly and perhaps a fresh reading of John with this new mindset of being able to look at your workplace through the things that uh, John writes about Jesus. This is powerful yes. because uh, this is where you've found the heart of uh, of some tremendous uh, answers for people who are 
who are suffering in their work about what John's yes. Gospel has to say to Christians today. Uh, let's talk about this uh, connection yes. side to the biblical Jesus and uh, his conversations that we read through the Gospel of John. Look, I, I, I think that's exactly right. And, and um, one of the great uh, revelations, I think, was discovering that John... Uh, at the end of the first century was writing really to a community of um, followers of Jesus that were quite uh, oppressed. They were uh, Jews who were being kicked out of the synagogue because um, there was a dispute going on about who was the Messiah and Jesus' followers proclaimed he was the Messiah and um, traditional Jews weren't happy about this because um, their leadership had basically signed a deal with the Romans to not raise these sorts of political uh, challenges to the authority of the emperor as the god, you know, that was worshipped across the empire. So this set the scene for um, John's sort of uh, struggle to link the personal uh, struggles of his uh, small community of followers of Jesus uh, and stand strong against both being excluded from the synagogue where many had grown up, but also to um, hold true to their beliefs that Jesus showed them the true nature of God and was God incarnate himself uh, in opposition to the belief that uh, the emperor was a god and in fact in fact, uh, was labelled the son of God also. So these conflicts... Um, were quite um, new to me. I hadn't really understood that as a theological student and in ministry that that the, the Gospels were trying to help Jesus' followers to understand what a um, challenge his ministry was and his whole being was to the prevailing powers of empire, um, particularly like the Roman Empire, but through the history of the Jews um, from Egypt... <laughs> through Assyria and Babylon and Persia, there's this long sort of story of oppressed people trying to remain true to God's covenant with them and um, not be uh, dragged into sort of following pagan idols and um, replacing God with, with the idols of um, oppressive powers. So it was quite... It, it changed the way I read the scriptures, this um, uh, baptism, if you like, into the, into the culture of the world of work. John, let's talk about the characters, because mm. uh, there'll be listeners who might not be able yes. to hear this whole conversation, but uh, if you're going to have a fresh reading of the Gospel of John and you've got your yes. workplace in mind, uh, let's talk yes. about the characters that you focus on in your book and uh, yes. briefly the sorts of things that you glean from there, these values and these conversations that Jesus has. Uh, who are the yes. main ones? Well, I think the, the the one that strikes me most because um, I identify my story that I've just shared with you with him is is the story of the man born blind. Yes. So here's a here's a here's a man who's born blind. He's um, uh, an outcast in in Jewish society because uh, the belief was that blindness was the result of sin, either the parents or the person who was blind. Um, so. Um, He's brought to Jesus. Uh, Jesus heals his blindness, and immediately there's a, a dispute develops between the um, the Pharisees who 
can't really accept that that Jesus is the Messiah. Um, so they try to uh, intimidate his parents. They try to, um, that is, uh, the blind man's parents. Uh, but the man holds to the, the truth that he knows, that this man healed me. He gave me my sight. And, and that's my own story, that I felt that I was spiritually blind to the world of work and the suffering of people in that circumstance. Um, but like the man born blind, once I took that path, I became an outsider in my own church. Um, so the church, uh, <clears throat> my experience of the Uniting Church in particular, but I think the Australian church in a larger sense, has, has turned its back on the world of work and the struggles of people in their working lives, um, and, and particularly when those struggles are heartbreaking and um, soul-destroying. And, and, and the, the good news, of course, is that... Um, at the end of the at the end of the story, um, the blind man is brought back before Jesus, and he recognises in Jesus uh, the the, mess, the messianic claim, if you like, and he falls and worships Jesus. And the Pharisees who are watching can't uh, understand this at all, and they they sort of quiz Jesus. Does this mean that we we are blind? And Jesus replies, "Well." You know, they're your words. <laughs> In other words, we're all born blind. And so a uh, very powerful message in that. We'll talk about some more of the characters that Jesus yes. talks to in his mm. gospel as our conversation continues. Our special yes. guest this hour is John Bottomley. He's Director of Transforming Work a member of the Centre for Religion and Social Policy at the University of Divinity in Melbourne. His book that we're talking about is called At Work with John's Gospel, A Spirituality for Life's Fruitfulness in All Our Labours. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Well, a wonderful opportunity today to talk about your workplace and what might transform our own attitude to work and certainly the boss, if you are the boss in your workplace, may what, what may transform uh, the environment in your workplace, turning it into a place where people thrive and where a business flourishes. Well, John Bottomley is our guest. His book is called At Work with John's Gospel, A Spirituality for Life's Full Fruitfulness in All Our Labours. John, let me come to just mm. let's touch on what might be a very important ingredient in our conversation and uh, wonder whether we could come around what you might see as the fundamental cause of all of the bad things that happen in our workplaces, whether this was first century or whether this is 21st century, there's some things that are in common here. Uh, what is the fundamental cause of the badness in our workplaces? Uh, well, John's Gospel is clear that that uh, that that. Uh, the breakdown, if you like, of communities when people turn away from God at the centre of their lives, um, and 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 as a consequence of that, um, people put we put ourselves first, and that results in um, selfishness and self-aggrandizing, um, self-justifying. So the neighbour um, who is at the heart of uh, you know Jesus' command to love God and to love our neighbour as ourselves, that sort of three-way relationship. Uh, with God and neighbour and self is broken da broken down, and in our culture uh, in the West, particularly, we we put the self at the centre of the world, 
and um, and that results, as I said, in, in um, uh, greed that is, you know, ignoring the, the, the needs of our neighbour. And uh, sadly, we harm ourselves. We put ourselves at risk and um, people today are suffering from all, all manner of um, diseases and mental illnesses because they have lost that um, connection with the heart of uh, their creation as child of God. So when we're suffering diseases, uh, we talked about in the introduction the idea of industrial Mm. diseases, uh, mental illness, uh, anxieties, Mm. uh, the breakdown of our families, the the occurrence of all sorts of cancers and diabetes and all of these things that that you're connecting Mm. to the workplace. And sometimes we have this disconnect and we say, well, the workplace is where I earn some money to survive. Uh, but the workplace actually may be killing us, and that's one yes. of the realities of what you're talking about in your book. Uh, this is a big challenge when we actually get to grips with the reality of what is causing our workplaces to be so dangerous. It is a big challenge, uh, not just um, within the Christian community, not just in Australia, but within the Western world. Um, so... Uh, our culture took a turn um, two or three hundred years ago in, in claiming uh, that enlightenment came through rational thinking, Neil, and, and in fact um, that was part of putting the self at the centre of, of creation rather than, than God, and, and, and the consequences um, seem to be multiplying so that um, in, in relation to... Um, in relation to the world of work, uh, work is based on a belief that um, if you work hard, you'll get a reward. Um, that reward will basically set you up for life. Um, counter to that, the gospel says, hard work is not the cause of your salvation. That is in Christ's gift of his life in love for you and for the whole world. And we need to understand that through our relationship with God in Christ, um, our lives are redeemed. Hard work does not redeem our, um, our souls and our spirit or indeed the wholeness of who we are. Well, I want to invite listeners to join into our conversation Please. today. Please. You might have a comment. You might have a question. You might have your own thoughts on your own experience of being in a very hard workplace where you were really suffering in that role and you might have your own reflection on what was making that happen well our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316 you might be an employer and you want to join in our conversation today too and uh, talk about the challenges that it is to actually have uh, christian values uh, that are imparted into your workplace 1-800-316-316 there's also a post you can respond to on our facebook page facebook.com forward slash Vision Radio. Uh, John, let's come back to some more of these characters because if greed and self-centeredness is at the centre of a lot of the challenges in our workplace, well, there's a number of conversations that Jesus has in the Gospel of John that address some of these issues. Uh, what are your other characters that you like to unpack and uh, to talk about the conversations they had with Jesus? Well, I think Nicodemus is... Um uh, primary in, in this regard and um, John may think so because he really makes him one of the first conversations in, in his gospel. So Nicodemus um, c- 
clearly is attracted to Jesus. He sees something in Jesus that might be missing in his uh, role, in his own Jewish faith as a leader of the Jewish synagogue, but he's not prepared to take that uh, leap of faith. So John tells us that Nicodemus came to Jesus under the cover of dark. Uh, at night, he had a conversation with him, um, but he left um, really unable to embrace the wholeness of um, the promise that Jesus gave to him, that, that God, you know, so loved the world. And um, uh, so there's a sadness, I think, in, in that conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus because in the end, the invitation that Jesus places before him, uh, Nicodemus, uh, essentially he can't let go of the status and prestige he has as a leader of the religious community. And so you might even align that with the sort of self-centeredness and greed that we're talking about. Uh, this idea that when you are in the workplace, if you find yourself going up the corporate ladder, uh, you find yourself being the boss uh, over someone. It might be someone above us, but there's somebody below us as well. Uh, the way we have an attitude about that is an important aspect of everybody's welfare in the workplace. Look, I, I, I think that came out in the... Um the recent Royal Commission into the finance industry where um, uh, one of the senior executives was um, challenged by his CEO to temper his sense of justice when he was this particular senior manager was concerned about um, the, uh, the way in which their bank credit cards were being manipulated to um, earn money to the bank that, that this fellow thought was not, was not just... And, and he went quiet. <laughs> the, the CEO challenged him about uh, the, the matter of justice and said it would be better if he tempered his sense of justice, and he let it go. And um, and that um, unfairness in their um, interest rate continued for another 12, 18 months before it was um, uh, brought to the surface again at the Royal Commission. So, yes, it, it's, it's a very seductive temptation, um, Keep quiet and you'll get ahead. What it brings to light, John, appears to be these political undertones that we're seeing even in Jesus' conversations here. Sometimes we like to separate politics from religion, don't we? We say, well, oh, I'm a Christian and uh, I just want to do all those loving things. But there are political undertones in the conversations that Jesus has when he's talking to Nicodemus or the woman at the well, or the man born blind. And uh, we can't escape those. Uh, we need to embrace them, perhaps, because these things are timeless. What was powerful in the first century is powerful, just as powerful, today. Look, that's exactly right. And there's uh, really no sense in that um, biblical worldview that, that politics and religion are separate realities. In fact, the, uh, the claim of the emperor was that he was, uh, this is, uh, goes back to uh, Julius Caesar, um, before Augustus and uh, Nero and others uh, around the time John was writing, they had taken on this role as, of Caesar of being the emperor god. And, and worship of the emperor uh, was mandatory. Um, so it was a political um, um, requirement uh, for, for citizenship to, to, to give that sort of loyalty. And uh, so the gospel is in no doubt at all that, that is, um, that's idolatry and it needs to be challenged. 
And it's really, uh, I think, the separation of religion and politics is a is only a, an artifact of the Enlightenment, where um, following sort of um, brutal religious wars in Europe in the 16th and 17th century, that that um, some of the leading thinkers decided that they'd be better off without religion, and and so the the, the rise of sort of rational, objective thought and and the rise of science became. Uh, over time, the new religion um, for the culture that we live in today and the separation that we often get caught up in the church uh, was actually not uh, the church's doing. It was it was the wider culture that wanted to um, reduce um, trust in God for divine justice um, and, and replace it with uh, man-made mechanisms for justice and look at the mess they've got us into today. Uh, let's bring this back to the reality of our workplaces today uh, where in this culture that we live in, this Western culture, uh, there's a certain minimising of death so that most workplaces have uh, very few policies and procedures around uh, supporting bereaved workers uh, when children or a spouse dies suddenly, or we might talk about family breakdowns, uh, the state of the mental health of people in our workplace, what are your reflections on the way our culture is today? I think the minimising of death um, is, is, is problematic because it means that um, the culture minimises life. If we don't have a proper respect for um, the, the fullness of what death means to our living, then our living is diminished. And that's the sad reality uh, for many people in their working lives, that their lives are not fulfilled. They're not fruitful lives. They, they earn an, uh, money. They might have some other benefits, but uh, they're not um, living the, the wholeness of life that Christ promised uh, and our relationship with Christ can, can give us. So what we experience around death uh, is a mirror of how um, we, we live as well. So let's bring this into the reality. Supposing yes. one of us gets bad news at work, sure. uh, a parent has died, or yes. Uh, yes. there's a child who has had an incident at school and sure. uh, we, yes. need to be, we need to be with our family in those moments. Uh, the sorts of responses that we might have as the employee or as the boss uh, when these sorts of critical incidents arise, how do you uh, relate that into the reality of someone's workplace today? Uh, there's, there's a growing awareness that uh, dealing with um, these uh, aspects of people's lives need to be addressed in the workplace. It's no longer good enough for people to be told they have to leave their emotions at the door when they when they come to work because people can't work properly. And so one of the health and safety issues around um, this, it, it, for example, if um, um, a, a case that my wife dealt with when she was uh, working at a, at a university, um, uh, one of the staff was being disciplined for poor, poor work performance and my wife was the, um, the trade union representative and she was asked to, to meet this uh, young woman. The young woman told uh, my wife that um, her work performance was suffering because she was also the only carer for her dying father who was dying at home. And, and, and the workplace never found this out and they had put her through a discipline procedure and they were on the point of dismissing her 
and they hadn't um, provided the uh, support that was necessary for her to even disclose um, what was happening. And they were about to create even more turmoil in this young woman's life by dismissing her. But that turmoil would also ripple through the workplace because she was a valued employee. She had always worked well, had high standards, but it was because she was carrying this double burden of trying to do her work well, but also caring for her father who was dying and she was his principal carer, that, that things began to fall apart. John, when it comes to the reality in lots of workplaces, because I know that bosses might be thinking, well, this works two ways. Of course, you've got that valued employee and uh, you want to respond and do the right thing if they're facing a crisis. You want to look after yes. them. But there's also that employee who's going to exploit every little loophole uh, to have every opportunity to have time off. And in business, uh, you've got to have the employee, in fact, uh, you know, uh, Making the money for the company so that the company can survive. So there's this, uh, there's this certain, uh, you know, there's there's the lazy employee and then there's the good employee. I think we're talking about uh, how you look after the good employee here. But what are your thoughts there? Um, I think that um, we can be too quick to judge why people are lazy um, or appear to be lazy at work. Um, I think that the gospel really calls us to look at the whole person, not just that particular aspect of their behavior. And quite often, um, this is very difficult for employers or even workmates to understand why someone's performance might um, be appear to be letting the team down. And, and this is, uh, I think, goes to the heart of the, the, the complexity of what you're describing, Neil, that... Um, because the culture we live in is also very uh, unsupportive to people so often in, in their struggles, um, the workplace is left to bear the brunt of it. And so it's not simply a matter of um, the workplace, but, but how we look at work as part of the whole of life, not as a separate sphere of life. And, and it's the separation of work, if you like, from the family that um, our culture sort of persists in, in doing and, and um, employers do need um, churches and other community-based organisations to understand that there's a partnership involved here if we want to support people to live whole and fruitful lives. When we're in the workplace today, John, and uh, mm -hmm. what I can hear coming through in the conversation is that there's real value in utilising a trade union for support of workers uh, when there yes. is a uh, a very challenging situation where the boss is perhaps purely driven by the greed and social injustice that we're talking about here. Yes. But there's true yes. value in uh, trade unionism uh, so far as what we might talk about, those traditional values of trade unions, really sure. looking after the welfare of the worker. Some people will have yes. all sorts of different ideas about trade unions today, but, but there's something special here. If a Let's talk about the person who might be a trade union representative Representative in the mm, workplace mm. to actually have these sorts of biblical values at the heart of what they do, rather than perhaps just a, a left-wing uh, sort of socialist sure. value. Give us a, yes. an impression of what you think about trade unions. Uh, well, I wouldn't be doing this ministry if it hadn't been for the trade union representative that I met at the dockyard. Yeah. The, the dockyard was a heavily unionised workplace, and I hadn't never encountered anything like that before and so I, I see the weaknesses uh, of the trade union movement but also uh, the strengths and um, 
I think that from a Christian point of view, our primary commitment is to the truth, and we need to be able to speak the truth in love. <laughs> That's the big challenge when uh, we're involved in workplace disputes, when things get heated very quickly, or in, the, in any political dispute, people are very quick to take sides. I think as Christians, um, it's um, important that the church provides a place for us to reflect, to gather our uh, spiritual resources and to know what the truth is and how to speak the truth in love, not to be caught up in the, the violence of conflict, which so often um, just leaves more damage behind it, even though it might get a temporary um, peace. As the prophet Jeremiah says, it's not real peace. The real peace is, is when the Spirit of God is at the heart of any uh, relationship repair. That's right. Let's come back to the Gospel of John and some of these conversations sure. that Jesus has. Uh, yeah. I know that, that we've talked about Nicodemus. Uh, we talked about yeah. the man born blind, and you've brought out some beautiful points there. Uh, let's talk about some of these others, like the woman at the yeah. well, and what we might glean from this conversation that Jesus has with her, because it seems to me that uh, this idea of uh, you know judging somebody's circumstance before really know what's knowing what's going on is is part of this woman's story. It's a great uh, story in that regard because it's a conversation that starts off really with the woman being so blinded by her prejudice about as a Samaritan woman talking to a Jew and talking to a man that she completely doesn't see uh, who Jesus is. And it's only as the conversation unfolds that um, that she begins to recognize that she's talking to a whole person, not somebody that you can uh, label with um, prejudice and uh, make uh, assumptions about. And in the end, the... Um, the, the woman comes to worship uh, Jesus as as, as Lord and, and she becomes, um, in a sense, one of the first um, missionaries or disciples in, in, the, in the John's Gospel because she goes and basically she witnesses to the village where she comes from and the village comes to believe with her that, that Jesus is the Messiah. So um, it, it says a lot about uh, how John's Gospel is... is concerned about truth speaking and how about a relationship with Jesus um, helps uh, his followers to, to learn the truth and, and to be able to speak uh, about it, to witness to it and to bring others into that community of love. And what does Jesus and his dealings with Lazarus have to say about people in a workplace today, John? Because uh, when I said earlier in the introduction, you know, sometimes mm. we absolutely hate our work because we're a little bit like the football. Uh, we're the one mm. who gets a kick every time something goes wrong or uh, we're despised in the workplace. We feel like we're at the bottom of the rung. We'll never get another uh, foot up the next rung on the ladder. We just always feel like we're oppressed and uh, we're put down in every way in the workplace. What does mm. uh, What does this conversation with Lazarus have to say about people who are really doing it tough, uh, suffering in the workplace. Well, there's no doubt that um, everybody had given up on Lazarus. I mean, his sisters say to Jesus, you're too late, he's dead. Um, the, the mourners around Lazarus's tomb are weeping because he's dead. Um, when Jesus approaches, John tells us that they could smell the smell of death. So the whole build-up of this story is that this is beyond repair. This is 
this is um, hopeless. Now, that is uh, what I hear sadly too often uh, about how people have suffered at work, that um, they've been discriminated against, they've suffered bullying, they've been um, um, unfairly uh, not paid correctly. Um, so there are many things that can pile on top of a worker and, 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 and you end up feeling, the person can end up feeling, this is hopeless, this is beyond any redemption. Uh, and what John's Gospel shows is that Jesus understands that. He, he, he acknowledges everything that people are saying to him. He, he, he doesn't say, no, 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 Lazarus is okay, I'll fix it. He, he basically understands that, that Lazarus is dead, and that's a key conversation, um, that Jesus knows that Lazarus is dead, and yet he goes to him, he goes to the tomb, and the miracle in the, in the story um, is not so much that, um, I think, in Western eyes, that, that Lazarus um, comes out of the t tomb, but that Lazarus, who is dead, hears the word. This is remarkable, um, that, that uh, it doesn't really matter how despairing, our, how deep our despair is. Um, the word of God can penetrate that darkness, uh, like the verse that was read just after the news, um, that that Christ is the light and his light penetrates the darkness. Um, and, and, and it is the hearing of the word that sets Lazarus on the path to life. You know, I think there's lots of listeners who right now will be thinking through the issues in their own work experience. Uh, perhaps it's mm -hmm. earlier days, perhaps it's a current work experience. There'll be people listening to us at work right now going, you know what, uh, I can see these circumstances uh, in some of the people that I work with shoulder to shoulder. How do mm -hmm. you use scripture here, John, to make an evaluation of your own work ethic or your own yes. work culture uh, in your own workplace, uh, how might you actually just apply some of these values we're talking about today uh, into your own environment? Sure. I think that uh, if I stayed with Lazarus, um, the story for me uh, of Jesus' patience uh, and the journey from where he is to the tomb is a story of patience in pastoral listening. Um, so I listen now, not not to work out what I have to do, but to pay attention to the deep, the, the depth of the suffering. Um, I think as Christians we might be tempted to want a quick fix, but that's our culture. Our culture is uh, about quick fixes. Um, what what Jesus, I think, uh, or what John shows in the way he tells the Lazarus story is that Jesus... Um, takes the time to travel the distance uh, he listens to everybody who has something to say he takes it all in and when he speaks um, because he's uh, speaking from um, the God center of his being uh, he speaks a word that will be heard so for me it's about knowing the time to speak the truth of the gospel um, and that is uh, I think for me that the truth of the gospel has to be in my own heart um, so often when I'm confronted by people's suffering, I might find myself uh, confused or I might feel myself thrown off centre. Um, I have nothing to say to somebody until my life is centred on Christ. So it might be my own prayerfulness, my own Bible study, my own 
sharing with fellow Christians um, that that keep re-equipping me. You never, you, you, we never finish work here, Neil. It's always about um, if you're going to speak uh, the truth in love, then that has to come from the heart, uh, not from some desire to make it better for somebody when they're in trouble. Oftentimes we'll hear in church life a lot of messages that are targeted at our family and all of the things that we've mm. got going on in our lives and uh, there are challenges there too and uh, that's a discussion sure. for another day. But uh, as you mentioned a little earlier on, we're not actually giving much attention to what goes on in our work life. Oftentimes mm-hmm. we turn up to church on Sunday and uh, you know we've got our best face on and sometimes we're dressed a little better than we might ordinarily be and we look pretty yes. good to everybody there. But uh, but you know a lot of people carrying the hurts and harms that they've picked up in their workplace. And I imagine yes. that in church life, and this is not just the pastor, this is uh, ordinary yes. people who we're rubbing shoulders yeah. with. We perhaps need to be yes. aware that. You know, somebody's done it pretty tough this week. They might have taken a kick or two. Uh, this is That's something right. that you like to reflect on as well, as how we treat one another in church when we've been going through a hard time at work. I think um, sometimes the church is captive to that uh, cultural message that it should be keeping um, religion and politics or religion and work separate, and so we don't create the spaces. So one of the reasons why I wrote the Bible study on John was to give um, church leaders a resource that would help them to provide space. Um, study groups, prayer groups, where um, the Bible can help them to integrate their work experience of the members with their experience of the Scriptures. And uh, I think as um, churches and as church leaders, we have to be very intentional about creating space because... If you want someone to disclose those struggles, they have to be feel they have to feel it's safe, and that's not usually going to happen over a, a cup of tea in the church foyer, where there's people interrupting and they're not going to tell you that they've just been sacked or that that something d- devastating has happened. You have to create. We as Christians and churches have to create spaces where people can draw breath. They can know that they're loved and accepted, and that anything they say will be heard in a in a spirit of of uh, Christian grace. Well, John, once you get to that point, once you get to that point, uh, people are on the road like Lazarus was. Once they've heard the word, they're on the road. They'll move, and uh, that's the big message in ministry, Neil. That um, God is the leader. The Spirit leads people to their salvation, to their healing. It's not our job as ministers. We're simply there to be witnesses, to tell the truth, to be uh, in solidarity with people. And, you know, uh, if I were reflecting on one of my favourite scriptures of all time, which actually comes from John's Gospel, John chapter Mm -hmm. 20, verse 21, these things Mm -hmm. are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that by Mm -hmm. believing you might have life in his name Uh, that's not just a salvation experience uh, that moment of uh, first believing but having real life Uh, god is interested in the abundance of our lives not just in our family but also in our workplace and that's what i can hear coming through in the conversation with you john and i want to point people to get a hold of your book Uh, your book Mm -hmm. is called at work with john's gospel 
a spirituality for life's fruitfulness in all our labors. It's published by Coventry Press. It's available when you go on Amazon or Book Depository. If you simply Google a At Work with John's Gospel, uh, of course, we're talking with John Bottomley, B-O-T-T-O-M-L-E-Y. And uh, John, just great to be able to unpack some of these things today. And uh, I look forward to another opportunity on another day because there's so many dimensions we didn't get to cover. But uh, but thank sure. you so much for taking some time to share your heart with listeners today. Thank you very much for the opportunity, Neil, and a blessing to all your listeners. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.